I was not expecting to be uh, preaching today. Uh, Dan was going to be preaching, but then he got COVID, and we thought, would you rather watch a video of Dan or um, anyone else in person? And we decided you'd rather have anyone else in person. And then um, Chris is on paternity leave, and so here we are. Um, It wasn't my plan, but it's what's happening. And sometimes when plans change, we see the reason for it and we're delighted. So I had never planned growing up to live in Edinburgh. I'd never planned uh, to be a church leader. And yet that's what God had planned for me. And those were amazingly better plans uh, than anything I had ever come up with. But we have all spent the last two years having our plans changed, often and mostly it seems to us, for the worse. For me, one of the emblems of COVID was, I think it was like in late first lockdown, uh, where they started running buses again, but obviously no one really was on the buses. So you had these near-empty buses, and on the sides of them were these faded adverts for films that were due to have been released in like March and April of 2020, which never were. And that just became this kind of uh, picture to me of what what life was feeling like. Of course, it wasn't like before COVID, everything always went to plan. And we're all like, oh, no, this has totally changed. But I feel like our awareness of what we don't know and our awareness of not knowing what's going to happen next just seems heavy and kind of relentless. And even if I feel like you'd say, oh, coming out of it, I feel like we've spent the whole two years saying that. But that sense of I don't know what's happening next is wearying. Uh, This may be why I'm spending more time reading familiar books and listening to familiar music uh, than new things, because I just, I know what's going to happen when I read this book, and I'm really happy about it. So I I know the chord change that's about to come in this song, and I know it's a really good one. And I just don't want to listen to things and read things that are new, because I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm fed up with not knowing what's going to happen. Maybe you're fine, maybe you love it, but I imagine that all of us, to some extent, I'm just feeling a bit tired with this. Now, I've been wary of saying uh, during what's been going on, kind of what I think God is doing through COVID, mostly because I am suspicious of people who say, here's how what's happening now proves what I've always thought. But really, since this all began, I've been thinking about something that the Apostle James says in his letter in the New Testament, and how it offers us grace for this very time that we're living in. In James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, he says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That is God's word. And that is not a silver lining or a bright side to the pandemic. It is an opportunity for us to take hold of the life-giving grace of humility, which God wants to give us and which we might otherwise have ignored or felt that we were able uh, to get on by with fine thanks. Whatever the rest of our days bring, 
We need humility. And this is a time to be humbled and to receive the incredible blessings that God promises to the humble. So let's, let's ask him to do that. Lord, we, we, there's enough going on to humble us. There's enough in ourselves to humble us. But will we be humble? Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to be at work in us, to, to take the words that you inspired James to write and to apply them into our heart, to do the things that only you can do. Lord, the be- our best efforts, they're nothing. We need you. And so we ask you, please now, to come and lead us, speak to us, change us, and glorify your name. Amen. Amen. So if we're going to talk about humility, let's be sure we know what we're talking about. And then we're going to see how it's the logical way for everyone uh, to live, but particularly followers of Jesus. And then we're going to think a bit about what that might look like in our lives. So when we talk about humility, what most people mean by that is people who have someone who has a low opinion of themselves. But the Bible tells us that humility isn't simply a low opinion of yourself. It is a correct opinion of yourself, which flows from having a correct opinion of God, of who he is and what he has done. And this will make us think less of ourselves. It will make us think less of ourselves than we naturally do. But the point, as C.S. Lewis put it, is really to think, not, not just to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. And it's to shift our focus away from ourselves and on to God, knowing who he is and what he has done and knowing who we are and what we are capable of doing. We choose to trust him rather than ourselves. We choose to praise him rather than ourselves. And the Bible repeatedly contrasts humility and pride and says it's a matter of life or death. So just before our reading, James quotes Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's quite the contrast, isn't it? It's like God would rather you weren't proud and he's kind of positive about humble, those who are humble. No, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus promised everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And this change in direction is told to us again and again and again in Scripture. Those who are climbing up by their own strength, God says, I will put down. But those who wait on the Lord, those who humble themselves before God, he says, I will lift them up. And so in the context of what we've read from James, to think that we can choose whatever we want to do without reference to God, to act as if we are in control of our lives and as we're the author of the story, to assume that we can comprehend everything and then hold God in judgment when things don't go as we want them to. These aren't just mistakes. However natural that may be for most of us to think that way, these aren't just like little oddities. These are foolish acts of rebellion. On the other side, true humility is this acceptance of who God is. It's a trust in him. It is a delighting in him. 
And those who live that way are drawn into his heart. They are brought closer to him. They know more about his purposes. They know more about his way. He blesses them with all the grace that he has to give. These are high stakes, serious warnings, and glorious promises. And humility takes many beautiful forms. And what we're going to look at today is humility as it relates to our trust in God, particularly as it relates to our trust in God for the future. The wearying uncertainty of these days and any days is an opportunity to receive God's grace because it's an opportunity to take hold of humility. If you respond to what happens in your life, particularly the unexpected, with humble faith, the grace and exaltation of God will be yours. So James tells us there's a natural logic of humility. Even if you're not a Christian here today, there's, there's enough going on here that, makes, that means it makes sense for you to think this way. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Human beings have incredible abilities, but... Although we're fairly sure that the earth is going to continue to turn, and we can, many of us might even think, I know exactly what Monday has got in store for me. Actually, you don't. You haven't been there yet. It hasn't happened yet. And your knowledge stops at where you currently are. What's happened in the past, previous Mondays, the earth keeps on spinning. Yeah, these are good reasons to expect those things to happen tomorrow, but you don't know they're going to happen. Early on in the pandemic, we spoke, spoke a lot about life being put on hold. People were like, oh, this isn't normal, that everything's changed, everything's stopped, that things are fragile, that plans are being cancelled, that we're limited, that we're uncertain. People were like, that's not normal life. For most people in history and most people around the world, and actually most of us as well, we just weren't noticing it, that is normal life. Life wasn't put on hold. We were just confronted with an extreme version of what it's always like. To re-emphasize his point, James then reminds us that even as if we live as long as Kane Tanaka, who recently celebrated her 118th birthday, like, that is so old. I mean, that's, that's ridiculously old. Unless, of course, you happen to exist in a universe that's, I don't know, 13 billion years old. And that was made by a God who is eternal, then what is 118 years? There are limits to our knowledge, there are limits to our lives. This should cause all of us to think and to act with a little less confidence in ourselves than we're naturally tempted to. But James and the rest of Scripture want us to go way beyond that for motivation. There is a humility of faith that the Bible wants us to embrace. So belief in God's existence and his nature as described in the Bible gives plenty of reasons for humility. But the Christian story of salvation gives us the greatest reason to think this way. We're told that God chose us before the foundations of the world, i.e. before we could do anything about anything. 
And what did we bring to this great salvation? We brought our sin, our mess, our shame, our mistakes. We were in such deadly trouble that only the death and resurrection of the Son of God could save us. And only God could do this, and he did it. And our believing this wasn't, even if you did a lot of thinking and a lot of talking, a lot of working through and reading and all sorts of things, the Bible says the reason you came to the understanding of who Jesus is, is because God gave you new birth. You didn't decide this, God decided it. And even after all of this, we're not now able to be left to our own devices. It's like, right, I've saved them, off they go. God's like, no, 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 I know them far too well. The race we run has been marked out for us. It is not of our own devising, Hebrews 12 tells us. 1 John 1 says that we still sin and we still need forgiveness and cleansing by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus is praying for us right now. We're told again and again and again that we have been put in the church because we need to be cared for and taught and led and served and put up with. We're told again and again that we need to be given the Holy Spirit. It is by his power that we can live for God and keep going. And the future for Christians is that we will be transformed into new creations. Who do you think will do that? Not you. God will make us new and we will dwell with him in a new heavens and a new earth. And guess who's going to have made all of that? Not you. As Paul once put it, what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing is the answer. This is not a story written to give you any credit. It is about the greatness and the love of God and our right response to it is to put all our trust in him rather than ourselves. So given that God promises wonderful things to the humble and terrible things to the proud, given that even the greatest of humans is so limited, given that life is so beyond our control, given that the Christian story is all about what God has done and is doing and will do for us, ought we not to say with James, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Let's look at what that might look like for us. So my personality type is such that I really, really don't like plans being changed, even when it's obvious that the, the new plan being suggested is better. Be like, oh, we we're going to have this, yeah, we we're going to have some, you know, something out of the freezer. Oh, we could actually go out instead. I'm like, well, we had thought, oh, yes. yeah. I'm like, no, there's clearly a better option. Take the better option. And I gradually, eventually do with help. But often at the moment, it has felt like it's not a better option being suggested to us. It's not a better option being forced upon us. I was meditating on how we should respond to these moments at 4.30 a.m. on Friday. So one of our kids woke up in the middle of the night again. Then a nearby alarm started blaring. And Deb, my wife, had already been feeling unwell. And I was like, wow. Given that I'm having one of these moments and I'm preaching about this on Sunday, it'd be great to know how to respond to this. And in his grace, 
Happened again last night. Not the alarm, but all the other things. At half one instead of half four, so that was okay. And I could, but just on Friday mornings, I could just sense all the, the plans and the expectations that we had for the day, or at least how we wanted that day to go. They were just falling one by one like dominoes. It wasn't a massive deal, but it was the umpteenth thing. And the changes we've experienced during the pandemic that you may have experienced cause maybe frustration, sometimes disappointment, sometimes, and maybe sometimes, and certainly for many people, deep sorrow and grief. Right at the start of his letter, James says to us, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. That can be hard to hear. Well, he goes on to explain to us that God can use those moments in the lives of the faithful to change us into his likeness. None of this means that those trials are necessarily good, and it certainly doesn't mean they should be dismissed with a fake smile. Rather, humble faith believes that God is able to work all things for the good of those who love him, even the worst things. One of the ways that he does this is by using these moments to humble us so that fresh grace might be released in our lives. And so we have a choice as to how we should respond, and James shows us what that can look like. We need to recognize our ignorance, our fragility, and our dependence. Our ignorance, James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Our ignorance is multifaceted, isn't it? The things we don't know are extraordinarily varied in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of directions. I'll often be in meetings and someone will suggest something. And this is when I actually do respond well to change. I'm like, that is so much better a suggestion, a thought, an insight than I could ever, ever have come up with. I'm so glad that we do things together. I'm so glad that we do things um, in teams. I mean, I felt that especially this week because the other guys were just, you know, off elsewhere. I'm like, thank goodness we don't have one person doing this job most of the time. Because none of us have total competence. None of us have total knowledge. We need one another. To be reminded of our ignorance of the future and about those around us and about even ourselves is an opportunity to accept humility, to see yourself clearly, to see yourself as you really are. Learning and planning, thinking and discussing, expecting past behavior to be the best indicator of future performance, those are all normal parts of life. Those are all legitimate. God has made the world such that we can look at it and say, this is probably what will happen next. But sooner or later, we are going to have to hold our hands up and say, I don't know. I don't know. Whether you're in a crumpled heap on the floor when that happens, or there's steam coming out of your ears, whether you are by yourself, or whether there's a whole crowd who are also experiencing your ignorance at that particular moment, it is a moment to to take hold of humility, to acknowledge to God the difference between you and him. Now, my experience of doing this, as and when I remember to do it in those moments, is that it doesn't make me suddenly feel better. It doesn't bring a peace to my soul or anything like that. It's not supposed to. But when I am able to reflect at a less intense moment, I'm able to bring faith to it. 
See, we can just be like, oh, I'm stupid. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, this has gone wrong. Oh, this hasn't happened as I wanted to. And that's what we then think about, and that's what we then talk about, and that's what we get. And problems need fixed, and things need to be worked through. That's absolutely right and absolutely fine. But I think the place we need to start is to say, God, you aren't like this. You aren't like this. I am inferior to you. We have to carve out time to make that happen. We don't have to be like, oh, I'm sure I'll think that way eventually. Don't think so. We need, to, we need to reflect on these moments. We need to bring them to God in humble prayer and say, Lord, I didn't know. And I don't know. And you do. Please have mercy on me. And when we do that, God's like, yes. That's what I've been waiting for. Even the smartest people, when they say to God, I need you, he's like, I've got more grace for you than you would have by yourself. Secondly, we need to acknowledge our fragility. James says, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. COVID's forced us to see how fragile human life is, whether you are vulnerable to it or any other diseases today, you are always vulnerable to death. You just are. Physical, mental fitness, those are blessings. We should steward them well. Uh, God also provides through abilities and opportunities. We should accept those. We should make the most of them. They are gifts, but they are not guaranteed. And they are not permanent. A day will come when we will be without them. You might not want to think about that all that much because it makes you feel nervous. You're like, well, I feel fit at the moment. What about when I feel ill? And what if that never changes? I've got this great opportunity at the moment. What if my life is suddenly limited to a single room? What will that be like? What will I have left if I can't put my trust in these things? What can I put my confidence in? Well, the answer is for Christians. Jesus, does your life look like that's true? For the past 50 years or so, there's been a strand of Christianity that has endeavoured to project confidence. And it's basically, it's reacted, there was, a, a very, uh, there was and still is a very defeatist church culture around and a very public perception, particularly in the West, of Christianity as defeated. So there were people outside the church saying, you're a load of rubbish. There's people inside the church saying, agreed, we are a load of rubbish and we're never going to do anything and it's all going horribly wrong and it's never going to go right again. And many Christians have seen that and said, no, that's not true. We need to respond against that. And they have been confident in God and confident in his word and confident in his plans. And I am all of those things. Let him who boasts, 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says, let him boast in the Lord. And I say amen to that. Today's worship did that, didn't it? We were praising Jesus. We were saying he's going to conquer. He's going to rise above. He's going to even take us above all these things. We love him. He is great. He is wonderful. That is how we should praise God, because that is reality now and in, the, in eternity to come. But the temptation, the danger of anyone thinking this way is that our confidence, although we say it is in God, becomes increasingly located in ourselves, because we make big plans 
and we put in a big amount of effort and we expect a lot of great things to happen. And when those things do happen, we say, look what God did. But slightly inside of us, we're saying, look what I did. And if his ways are small and slow and brought about through weakness or even suffering, then we may have a problem seeing what he's doing. And we may struggle to hear what he's telling us to do because our expectations are elsewhere. As we've talked as elders about why so many churches and church movements around the world are going through such huge changes at the moment. I think one of the things we feel and others have said to us and we've agreed is that God is just using this time to reset foundations for many. Seeming to have it all together as individuals or churches may not be the best way to demonstrate a humble trust in God. I think that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like most of us want to go to work, want to be in our street, want to be doing other things. And for people to be like, wow, it's going well for you. Tell me about Jesus. And there is times when that happens. But I don't think that's the only way. We must be really careful that we aren't just seeing how a culture has done something and then try to copy it. So when in the Old Testament, the, the, the people on the earth, they built a massive tower, the Tower of Babel. And it was, a, it was an arrogant kind of statement of how great they were and what confidence looked like. And God knocked it down. And his response wasn't to build another really big tower that had his name on it. His response was to take a really old man and a really old lady and say, have a baby. It's really different. So as we acknowledge our fragility, God can do things through that. Finally, the concluding application that James gives us is to declare our dependency. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Just so you know, the the Greek words really are this and that. I was like, that's an English phrase. No, no, it's right there in the Greek. But this is not at all kind of kesarasara, whatever will be, will be, that kind of fatalistic passivity of like, well, who knows? I'll just be, you know, just be taken along. No, the Bible never commends that. What we're looking for is humble faith in action. It is asking God to take his place as the one who sets the agenda, is saying to him, you rule here, you reign, and you alone will bring things to your appointed end. It might start for you by just simply saying, God willing, more often. People used to use the Latin version of this, Deo Valente, or they would abbreviate it to DV. But that probably, if you start using Latin phrases to express your humility, that's probably not going to work, is it? <laughs> you could simply say, I hope so. And with those to hear what Christian hope means, you're saying something in that moment. We admit and we delight in our dependency on God by seeking him through prayer. It's been said that prayer is so many ways of agreeing with Jesus in John 15 verse 5 when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
prayer says, that is true. The prayer Jesus taught us shows us this again and again. What do we do? We ask for God's will to be done. And so we are humbling ourselves at that moment. We're saying, no, not my way, your way. We ask for the provision and the protection that we need each day and every day. We're humbled. Again, we're saying, God, we need you. We're even encouraged actually sometimes to fast as we pray, just to humble ourselves even further by really pressing into our physical weakness that God might show his strength. And to do these things, our moments of humility, and and, and James uses words like arrogance and boasting, and I don't imagine most of us feel most of the time like, like like we are boasting, like we are being arrogant. But we've just got to get on with this thing, and it's a shame I didn't have time to pray about it. And I think, there's, I think there's something for us in that where we, we need to keep coming to God, keep consciously coming to God to say, your will be done. Lord, is this your will? We need to humbly read and obey his word. We need to be listening for his voice. We need to be asking for and acting on the counsel of people around us. We mustn't assume that our personal or culturally informed preferences are correct. We follow his leading. We follow his leading. We attempt things that only he can do. Do things that only he can achieve. There is a death for us in this, a death to our confidence, a death to some of our expectations, and certainly a death to the ways of the world around us. But as we heard today, with Jesus, death leads to life. So when we bring these three attitudes together, recognizing our ignorance, recognizing our fragility, and leaning in, to our dependence on God, amazing things will happen. We will personally experience the grace of God. This is why I'm saying that this is God's grace to us this year, because God has promised to give grace to the humble. If you want to receive his grace, you've already got his love. If you want to receive his grace, humble yourself. Other people will be blessed as you do this because humility always leads us away from ourselves and to others and God will be glorified. Because when we honestly admit our weaknesses, what we don't know, what we can't do, we are giving him the opportunity to show his strength. As he told Paul when he humbled him with a thorn in the flesh, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. We are being forced to reckon with our weakness. Let's do that and embrace the grace of humility. Let's pray together. Lord, we are we are a mist, we are a vapor. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You are eternal. You know all things. Before a word is on my lips, you know it completely, O Lord. 
And so we pray like David prayed, teach us to number our days. Help us to see what we don't know. And rather rather than being defeated by that, despondent, despairing, let us praise you for your goodness and your greatness. Help us, God, to do this. It's really hard. We don't naturally do it. We're in a culture that isn't naturally doing it. But Holy Spirit, you want to make us more like Jesus. And so we ask you, help us. Help us to work this out in each of our lives. Lord, help us to follow you and to do what you will. Amen.